I'm Ruthie, host of Out There, here on Valley Free Radio. Tune in for stories from the streets and paths of Northampton and beyond, Fridays from 4 to 5 p.m. Get out if you can, but if you can't get out, tune in. We don't care if we live a lot of dates. We don't care if we live a bit And yes, you are listening to Out There. I'm Ruthie, live in the studio. I have two guests today, Vincent and Francie. <laughs> I haven't turned their mics on yet. We're still getting getting together, but they're going to talk maybe about farming on York, PA, and on Maryland's eastern shore. Come by Bike Farm. That's the name of your farm, right, Vincent? Nice. We'll come to that. But first, as I announced on last week's show, let's see, today is the 29th? It's the 20th. Okay, today's the 29th. No, that's the December calendar. I think today's the 30th. Yeah, today's the 30th. Huh? Not today. Today's December 1st? No. For real? I can't believe that. Apparently it is. All right. Francie says today is December 1st. I, all those, I was signing papers yesterday for the flow op, which is what where we're getting to. Here, I'm sorry. Let me, all I got to do is press those buttons and now your mics are on. Francie, is your mic on? Mic. Hello. Yes. Greetings. Yes. All right. Hi, Francie. Today's December 1st, 2023. I was also confused because when I went to like, you know, check out of Dwayne's apartment, um, I thought it was the end of the month. I'm glad I didn't know that yesterday was the end of the month or I would have been stressed and thought that I was late. <laughs> well, anyway, I, as I have, we'll get back to Francie and, and Vince, but as I said earlier in Out There shows, my housemates at 6 and 8 High Street here in Florence and I have been working on creating the Flow Op Cooperative and we had the closing yesterday where this great exchange of money and house and property happened. Uh, it was a way of uh, our house becoming a a cooperative, a cooperatively owned house home on a community land trust. And my ability to interview the people there sitting around the table at 6 High Street yesterday was limited. But after it was all said and done, I did manage to get a interview with Sarah Howard and Alex Jarrett and um, Jim Oldham, I believe his name is, of Equity Trust, and Rebecca Fletcher, who's part of the Cooperative Fund of the Northeast, uh, who is giving us some loan money. Anyway, uh, that, so I have a little interview, like a post-transaction interview. I thought it'd be good for the historical record of how do people feel when they do something like this and uh here it is well but sarah how do you feel about this oh. closing <laughs> i feel excited <laughs> <laughs> i'm just tired um i'm happy that maybe alex will be able to sleep better tonight <laughs> <laughs> i'm already feeling so tired <laughs> this not- has been i mean yeah, when did we really, in earnest, we started maybe in April. So it's been a lot of months and a lot of 
uh, we didn't know how we were going to do it and um oh it'll work this way no that's not a good way oh we need this oh the the there's these new provisions that'll be have to added to the ground lease and like do we how do we feel about those and you know so just so so many different things um but it's finally come together and and so much money i mean just to spend to the lawyers and you know to make everything happen more than anticipated yeah. <laughs> so that's but it's all paid except one bill uh, so <laughs> that's good yeah alex was really worried like her bank balance is going to be so low and i was like what? we've got like five we have thousands of dollars in our bank account like that's more than i ever am used to having in my bank account being a, you know low income most of my life so seems i'm I felt very comfortable. <laughs> um, but I feel, yeah, I feel like we need to start making a land, figure out the land trust. <laughs> That's the next step. I feel anxious about that. And excited. I mean, because I think that'll be a cool thing to have, like, have the motivation to you know, to get it to happen somehow. Mm-hmm. Rebecca and Jim from Equity Trust, how's it been for you all working on the flow-up creation? <laughs> um, it's interesting because we have one piece of a bigger thing, and so it's been fun to work on. It's been great getting to know you all, and, um, you know, sort of inspired by what you're doing with like putting the subsidy into the property and your commitment to to the co-op ideals and things like that um it was as will was saying before as you guys were just saying right now the last three days have also been pretty intense and tiring so um sort of it's it's sort of an it's a challenging moment to sort of think about it bigger picture because mm-hmm. like I, I'm, I'm still thinking about dotting the I's and crossing the T's of the documents but but really you know that's really like a puzzle you have to get through but it's not really what it's about so it's harder for me so so I need a little time to digest yeah. but um, but it's been good and I'm excited to to work on the CLT with the next piece I love how the three of you and some of your associates just do so much work to bring the way you live into line with your values. It's really amazing. And obviously you've been doing that with um, Pedal People Cooperative and really thinking about labor and work and how do we collectively benefit from that from a business and to see you bring that into your way that you think about your home and the the land um that your home is on is just really exciting to me and Mm -hmm. i'm hoping that um it can like the work that you've done with this can be amplified into a larger conversation locally um 
You mean like more housing cooperatives to start or what? Or a community land trust or something or what? I would love to see both of those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'm glad we could bring cooperative fund at the Northeast into it. I'm glad to have equity trust at the table supporting the process mm -hmm. and um, love the philosophical clarity that Jim brings to the table whenever we do stuff. So, yeah, mm. it's been great. Yeah, forget the year with cooperative fund with I the know. Northeast Me and too. not with equity trust. Forget, so right. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody know how many things we signed in the last few days? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so why are there so many things? Why is it so complicated? Every time I try to explain this whole, like, the flow up and and been housing cooperative and community land trust to anyone i just like i get about three sentences in i'm like oh i don't know ask somebody else mm -hmm. well, that, the funny thing is i mean you're the co-op and the land ownership arrangement that you created those did obviously create some big additional documents but a lot of what we signed today was you know just the legal stuff that you have to do to buy a house anyway or to sell a house and you guys you were doing both right yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but but yeah um, I mean I think what's interesting is you what, what Rebecca was just talking about you've created this cooperative so it's it's not about you as individuals it's about you as individuals within a a collective that can bring in more people can shift over time so that that's one reason why all of the signatures and then we created this this relationship with the land where where again you've you've contributed to putting a, a permanent subsidy into this property so again it's not about you just as individuals you've created a, a resource for the mm -hmm. For the community, and and so so then equity trust sort of standing in for that future CLT, you know, adds another signature line and another set of documents to, to be able to do that. So so the documents are really standing for these these resources that you're creating, whether it's the co-op or the or the permanent protection that you're putting on the land and permanent affordability subsidy that you're putting into the property. Why do you think there's not more housing cooperatives or even a community land trust in Northampton yet? They're challenging challenging organizations to I mean any any human endeavor, you know, it's like things come and go. And Northampton actually Rebecca knows better than me, I think, that but but uh, Northampton had a CLT at one time, I under is my understanding, and, and the this region is really the you know, has played played a really the Western Mass played a big role in sort of the origins of that shared ownership model that, that community land trusts do. And some survived and some of the small startups didn't because there wasn't enough um, ongoing energy and capacity to keep them going. And I think, you know, the traditional way of home ownership, the vast majority of people practice of you know, marriages and so on, even, you know, 
high proportion of those break up, sell the house, move on, do something else. So, yeah. so the fact that housing co-ops come and go is mm -hmm. isn't a big surprise, I don't think. Yeah. But, but but I think there's right now there's a ton of interest. Well, kind of like because housing is so expensive, right? Yeah. Um, can someone explain what we did? Need <laughs> <laughs> for the radio, because you you. No, <laughs> for, for me to listen to repeatedly and try and figure out. <laughs> well, but Sarah, how do you feel? The mic thing. You're listening to Out There on Valley Free Radio. Um, your host, Ruthie, that was an interview, interview, that was a conversation with my co-flow-op housing cooperative members, Alex Jarrett and Sarah Howard, and uh, Rebecca Fletcher from Cooperative Fund of the Northeast, and Jim Oldham from Amherst-based Equity Trust, who supported us throughout this process. Um, oh, Equity Trust. Their, their, their mission is to promote equity in the world by changing the way people think about and hold property. So it can involve developing alternative land tenure models uh, and also providing communities access to wholesome and healthy food by assisting farmers and their communities to find ways to protect agricultural land for long-term affordable agricultural use and many other things. Actually, seven things that are listed on their mission statement since we've got some real live farmers in the studio today here, though, we're going to talk with the live farmers. But first, a song from Sweet Honey in the Rock. Standing for freedom, freedom, till he comes, 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 standing for freedom, Dum 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 d
Sweet honey in the rock. That reminds me, I was at the skate park Veterans Field playing Ultimate Frisbee last Saturday and saw there's a new mural painted on the old bathrooms there. It says, just the whole wall, it says, Peace, cease fire now. Which reminds me that on Sunday, this Sunday, December 3rd, there'll be a rally in March for Palestine at City Hall, December 3rd at 12.30 p.m. Sponsored by Massachusetts Peace Action and some other groups. Anyway, that's this Sunday at 1230. It's also the hot chocolate run this Sunday morning. Mm. Fundraiser for a safe passage. You're listening to Out There on Valley Free Radio. And now we turn to our live guests in the studio, Vincent and Francie. So, uh, y'all want to say hi? Hello. Hello, all. Greetings. <laughs> So Vincent and Francie came, we, uh, they came in on the train yesterday afternoon, evening. Four o'clock in the afternoon seems like evening when it's getting dark. <laughs> and we came back on our bikes. So uh, y'all are very involved in farming. Um, Vince, you have a farm called Come By Bike Farm. Can you tell us a little bit about that farm? And then we'll get to you, Francie. Uh, sure. Um, it's a, it's a, um, uh, very small farm, about two thirds of an acre, which is all I can manage because, uh, I do the, all the farming by hand and, uh, um, grow about, oh, several dozen different kinds of crops, including, uh, popcorn and native corn and, uh, all the other traditional things like potatoes and, and, uh, tomatoes, cucumbers, things, the summer crops. And uh, mostly I focus on uh, on storage crops. And the other th major component of the farm is that it's a community service farm. So uh, a majority of what we grow, we donate. And the money, what money we do raise, it's not a f 
a profit-making farm. It's a pay-the-bills farm, uh, and all the labor is done by volunteers, mostly myself, um, with a little bit of help from several friends. And uh, it's uh, it's it's a farm that was because uh, I'm closing it down this year, in hopes of being able to move up north here, where the climate is a little cooler. Mm-hmm. And uh, Francie, can you give us a little overview? Oh, to say that's in you're talking about on the eastern shore of Maryland, right? Right. Okay. And Francie, where are you coming from? Yeah, I'm coming from York, Pennsylvania. And this is a different project that started up before Come By Bike called the Art Farm Project that's been going strong for, let's see, over 10 years now. And um, it involves an urban food forest. We have woofers who participate. And we just basically try to keep things pretty low profile and low paying just to kind of encourage other people who don't have a lot of money to try to give it a give it a try to try to have a garden or farm or whatever they want um, food wise and basically learn some really easy ways that are also very friendly towards the earth. Um, so how do you all all fence? Like how you're growing food and giving a lot of it away. Like what are your expenses? How do you pay for stuff? A little bit of help from the friends, I guess. I mean, that's a, it's a, compared to the traditional farm, the one thing I don't have to worry about is a mortgage because, uh, some friends that I met down there on the Eastern shore who had plenty of land to spare when they heard about the project that I was hoping to get started, they offered me the land basically for free, no charge. And I, when I asked Jamie, one of the owners, what would he want in exchange, he said, well, just bring me some tomatoes now and then. Uh-huh. So that takes care of a huge expense that most farmers have to really stress about. Um, otherwise, I have the same, I have to pay for seed, I have to pay for uh, insurance, uh, tools uh, every year there's some item this that or the other maybe ground cover or row cover things like that that I need to spend money on um, but it's it's pretty modest I, I don't think we've ever spent more than $2,500 in for paying for everything that the farm needs for a season $2,500 for everything yeah oh. um, insurance what kind of insurance do you have to get well, uh, we sell produce at a uh, local farmer's market, so we have to be insured for that. And that's that's determined by the requirements of the farmer's market. Uh-huh. So they tell us uh, how much insurance we have to cover, and then however much uh, we pay about $600 a year in insurance. So uh, uh-huh. it's not that much. Uh, when you say we, who is we? Well, I'm speaking for everybody that helps with the farm. Yeah. Francie's been a big, uh, uh, she's been a big help, not so much on the physical level because she's living in another place, although she's come down uh, occasionally to help out. But uh, she's helped out tremendously with the administrative and uh, all of everything that needs to be done to keep something, you know, bookkeep, the sort of 
paperwork and all that stuff that no matter what kind of an enterprise you're running, it seems like you have to ha take care of that. Those things need to be tended to, just like you starting your co-op. There's paperwork and laws that have to be followed. So same thing even for a tiny little farm. What about labor costs? There are, like I said, no labor costs because everybody, including myself, who does most of the labor, labors for free and has a day job. I tell people, I have a day job to pay for my farming habit. Yeah. <laughs> and how much time would you say you spend on your day job versus how much time on your farming habit? Well, I'm very fortunate because I have a whole network of people. Like I barter. I do a lot of bartering, trading for a place to stay. And so as far as actual, when I talk about labor to pay my expenses, that's my living expenses, which are so low most people would not believe me. <laughs> and so as a consequence, I only have to work about, uh, I don't work more than about seven hours a week. It's physical labor. It's uh, gardening and landscaping. So it, it's, uh, it's not easy work, but still seven, eight, ten hours at the most a week. And, and so I can spend the whole rest of the week riding my bike back and forth to the farm, which is 25 miles away. Wait, 25 miles away from where you're living? Yes. So that takes up some of my time. <laughs> and that's why the farm is called Come By Bike Farm. And that, but I'm uh, at the peak time of the season, I'm still spending, uh, I'm out there at the farm six days a week, except for market days. And it, uh, so s during the peak, it can be 60 hours a week. Um, and then thankfully, uh, it slows down once we get to the harvest. Then the, uh, pa once you get past the, the planting season and the cultivating, uh, cultivating really slows down in the fall. So then at you know, 15, 20, 30 hours a week maybe, and I can, and I can get everything done and stay on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, so did, would you, were you ever like motivated to try and make a lot of money in your life? No. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> most people in this culture, like value making money a little bit more. I don't know. Can you talk more about your values around that? Well, I think I've always enjoyed having time to think my thoughts and stare out the window or go outside and look at the stars. And so, uh, I've, I think at one point, I, it sort of seemed to me that a lot of the energy that people put into raising, getting money for themselves, having a, a well-paying job, and and then having getting all those material things, it seemed like so much of that is trying trying to buy the free time that you <laughs> would have if you weren't working all the time. <laughs> so I just thought, I'll cut out the middleman and and see how little I can be happy with and try to find the cheapest substitutes for all the things that people say are so important and also ask myself, well, how important is that for you? Can, how, can you go without it? And I've often thought about how Jesus spent all that time in the wilderness or however much time he spent fasting with nothing. And I thought, well, you know, a person could just sit for two weeks and do nothing and it wouldn't cost you anything and you'd still be alive. So it just that was just kind of my way of thinking how minimal can I be how much how much happiness do I get out of the things that I'm acquiring and how much happiness do I get if I don't have to work for things so it's kind of like trying to instead of trying to get the things that money will buy 
I just try to make, I try to be thankful and enjoy the time that I have and use that time doing things that don't cost a lot of money. And so what I've discovered over the course of my life is that I just, I don't miss those things. I don't understand why other people want them. <laughs> I mean, I can, I can understand by walking in other people's shoes and trying to look at it from somebody else's standpoint, but it just doesn't, it's something that just doesn't speak to me. And to this, to a certain extent, uh, I have had times in my life when I would succumb to the pressure of other people telling me that I needed to do this and this was the only way to be successful, the making money. So I'd make a little shot at it and it just did, it just, it rang hollow. So I kind of reverted to my own default. Yeah, probably the, en the environment and the rest of the world would be a, a lot better off if we sat around and did nothing <laughs> in this country. <laughs> so true. Um, we'll come back to you, Vince. Um, so, Francie, how, so you have kids. You have, I don't know, how would you compare? I don't know. No, I don't want to ask that question. That's not, I don't like to. Comparison is a death of joy, they say. I'm not trying to do <laughs> comparison here. <laughs> um, so can you describe your life at the art farm in York a little bit more? Um, yeah, it's a lot different than how I started out a long time ago. I was pretty mainstream. I would do composting and small things like that. But at, there was a point in my life and way too, it's going to take way too long to tell this story, but there was a point in my life when I just basically fell down the rabbit hole of sustainability and decided to take it on wholeheartedly and ditch the car and focus on human power and figuring out how little stuff I could use materialistically to get a food forest in an urban setting going. And this was with the help of Vince, a huge amount of help from Vince, and just took a property about a quarter acre in size, which was about one half of it was um, buildings and the other half was available for being um, an urban food forest and it was on it's a corner lot so there's a lot more sun on this property than some pieces of property um, and just kind of figuring out if you've ever heard of permaculture it's basically a permaculturally designed um, piece of property so that you're getting the maximum yield of food crops um, and also the minimal amount of fertilizers and other things that you have to buy versus creating, such as hugelkultur, which is a fancy name for composting wood, where you take huge logs, throw those on the bottom, smaller and smaller logs till, till you get to the sticks and the leaves and the dirt and leave that for a few years and it will degrade into a wonderful, healthy, hummusy soil. So little things like that um, add up. We also There's also a bamboo grove about three blocks from the house. And because bamboo is so invasive, the people at 
the the it's actually um, Penn State York campus were very happy to let us take some of their bamboo and you could turn that into trellises. Um, also, Vince was using bamboo for bike trailer pieces and other things. Um, but it's great for stakes, all a lot of different things. Of course, there's pine needles that you can use for acidic plants like raspberry bushes and um, tomatoes and things like that. So that you're just basically looking around you and your environment and figuring out what can I use here that's going to make sense in the food forest and what's going to help feed the soil. The soil is hu a huge factor in whether you can grow things there. And um, it also minimizes the amount of pesticides and herbicides and things. And of course, with our garden, it's beyond organic so you're not even looking at um, herbicides and pesticides per se as much as you're looking at building strong plants to begin with and possibly using a wee bit of diatomaceous earth or other things to help minimize a few of the pest, little pests that we have. I'm glad you mentioned leaves and pine needles. Vince, you had a nice use for pine needles last night. What did you do with the pine needles last night? Uh, I, I made myself a nice little mattress out of them. <laughs> um, can you talk about their, the qualities, the characteristics of the pine needle bedding? Well, <laughs> uh, nice dry pine needles, if they're thick enough, they're just for, uh, they're, they're warm, they're soft, they smell nice. And underneath the pine tree, you had like the shelter of the branches right. too. Every, every, it was the perfect place to sleep. And plus if, in my case, I got to go to sleep with the moon rising and the stars out, and I had the best view. Nice. And leaves, talking about leaves, Francie, there's a lot of leaf blowers out now. Mm. Do you know about the Leave the Leaves campaign? Yeah, there's, um, I mean, there's many people that are trying to encourage others to leave the leaves. Leave the leaves. Wait, yeah, Please what leave the leaves. Yeah, what are some re reasons it's important to not take all the leaves away right besides the the fact that they make great compost when they decompose they're also a good place for a lot of our beneficial insects and animals to try to hibernate over the the winter um and of course they're fun to play in mm -hmm. especially when you're a little kid and you like to build big leaf piles and I'm kind of blanking on other things. Can you think of anything, Ben? Like sort of insulate the earth a little oh, bit yes. when it's real cold, um, and hold moisture in. Hold moisture, yeah. I, I, I'm so perplexed when I ride around town and the ground is so barren because every last leaf has been taken away. Any thoughts on how we can move away from this culture that thinks that's what it means to take care of the earth, there's or the land? Yeah, there's definitely one. One thing that might make you feel better if you have an issue with looking at leaves, you can basically take all your leaves and put those where you normally would put mulch and then get a thin layer, a very thin layer of mulch and put it on top. That way, mm -hmm. all you see is the mulch. You don't see the leaves. 
So if you have an issue with leaves, then you're not looking at them, but they're still doing their job for you. Mm -hmm. And of course, they're usually free. Yeah. Do you get leaves? Or do you need more leaves? Like, do you get leaves for your garden in York from city collection or neighbors? Actually, and stuff? our neighbors next door have a huge, they used to have two huge trees. Now they have one, but still a huge oak tree. And they are more than happy to send them over onto my side. Huh. It's okay that they're oak, which is a little acidic? Yeah, because usually what you can do is mix it with other things if you're concerned about alkaline soil. But a lot of my crops, like the tomatoes and the peppers and definitely all the berries and the currants and gooseberries and raspberries, all, all those things love kind of acidic soil. So they don't complain. Hmm. And the tomatoes and the peppers, I didn't know. Um, you're one, other, one other thought on leaves. I don't know, I don't know uh, what the municipalities do up here, but I know from the time that I was living in York, the city gathers those up in these huge vacuum truck, vacuum trucks with vacuums on them. So and the tr and so it's got a back that holds who knows how many. And when uh, during the time that I was working with Francie at the art farm project, we had another we had another small farm out uh, at uh, the Horn Farm project in York County, and the Horn Farm project made an arrangement with the municipalities around there to have leaves dumped. So we would get 50 or 60 truckloads of these leaves, and the farmers just divided them up. And we would mulch, uh, you know, we were working with half acre, one acre, one and a half acre plots, and we would cover our, like I had, uh, we had a, what was it? It was an acre, wasn't it? Yeah. We covered the whole thing with about eight inches of leaves. And that was like, that's how we started out the season. So mm -hmm. that, first of all, it, as the season goes, it mulches it'll decompose and turn into mulch. But during the other time, it works really well as a weed suppressant. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for gardeners, leaves are leaves are a friend. And I think, too, in lawns, lawns like leaves, too. They like to have some leaves left there. People are afraid it's going to kill all the grass. It's a, it's a myth. That is it's totally based a myth. On, I don't know what it's based on. It's based on the, the uh, lawn industrial complex, maybe. <laughs> People who want to sell leaf blowers. But... I, it seems to me like it's all an aesthetics thing, and aesthetics changes all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think we, uh, if when we understand the value of uh, the value of what nature is just naturally providing for us, and we understand that a lot of times we rake all that stuff up and and take it to the dump or wherever we take it, and then we pay somebody else to bring something like composted leaves. We go to the the Home Depot or we buy it in little bags for ten dollars a piece. And, we, and then we import it back onto our property. And it's kind of like the exact opposite of a closed feedback loop where the leaves were already there to work with. We just work with the ones we have. And we would, we would do a favor for the environment. We would spend less money and uh, certainly um, less, less uh, carbon footprint, which we all need to be thinking about. Yeah, less time. That's like one more reason to drive around in circles, take the leaves away and bring the leaves back. <laughs> so, so Vince, with your with your farm, with Come by Bike Farm, the farm, like the farm is twenty five miles away from where you were staying. Like, why didn't you like move closer? Could you not move closer? <laughs> well, it, the uh, I have a sister who lives there who uh -huh. has property 
uh, in Whitman, which was 25 miles away from the land that I was offered to farm. Uh, but it also turns out that my sister had this beautiful farm on, or beautiful barn on her property, not enough land to farm, but a beautiful barn for storing crops and a nice place to stay. And so um, uh, there probably weren't, I probably wasn't, if I wanted to stay closer to the farm, then I would have had, I probably could have worked that out, but it was just one of those things where it was nice to be close to my sister, it was nice to have that barn right there, and uh, because I was living where the barn was, a lot of my work takes place in the barn. Half of it takes place at the, there's farm work that you do on the farm, and then there's tending to your storage crops, there's, the I have a little greenhouse uh, where the barn is, so all the spring greenhouse planting and seeding gets done there, so it was kind of like I would tell people it was a schizophrenic farm, but there's <laughs> nothing I could do about it because <laughs> in both places there were advantages, and I and it just it wasn't it wouldn't be it wouldn't have been a simple matter to try and consolidate. I looked into it early, uh, and I but what I wound up doing is I made arrangements with the landowners so that I could sleep overnight at the farm, so I didn't have to make a 50 mile round trip. I would just ride out one day, spend the day working sleep over at the farm, get up the next day and do some more farm work, and then ride back to the barn, and I would just repeat that. Uh, so it was basically three round trips a week and then a trip to the farmer's market, which was doable, but still like 100 and some 80 miles a week. Doable for a certain number of years until <laughs> I had already done it and decided I, I was destroying my body. <laughs> How many years have you done it for? Uh, it's This is the seventh season. Seven, wow. So if your storage and your greenhouse was 25 miles away, ha were you how were you hauling all that produce twenty five miles by bike, or did you have like a friend with a truck, or did your sister no. help you pick stuff up? I I have a, a wonderful sister who has a Honda Prius, which ameliorates things a little bit. But yeah, I had to rely on I had to rely on mainstream transportation to a certain extent. Um, although, what basically the policy I had I have uh, I've got a bicycle with a big. Uh, tote farm tote on the back attached and my policy was if i can carry it on the bike then i won't use any other transportation so usually i would usually i had 40 pounds when i was leaving the farm i would usually have 40 pounds of something in there and so even though i still had to rely on automobile transportation I, over seven years i'm sure i hauled tons and tons and tons of produce i haven't calculated how many tons but quite a lot on the back of that bicycle. Huh. And then for, well, I also have bike trailers, and so on the weekends for the market, the majority of what I take to the market to sell, and that's like a seven-mile trip, and I would carry the majority of that on a, with a bike trailer. When it came to pumpkin squash season, then my sister would help, and watermelon season, my sister <laughs> would help. <laughs> wow. Um, well, we're going to take a little break. Wait, can I do you, can I ask you both how old you are? You can ask. You don't have I'll to tell, tell you. you I'm want. 63 <laughs> and 64. All right. Um, here's another song from Sweet Honey in the Rock. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about your future, what you're looking for in your future here in Western Mass. Or yeah. Um. Be cold. Be cold. 
in the rock you're listening to out there on valley free radio i'm your host ruthie and today i have two live guests in the studio vincent hedger and francie delaney up from maryland farmers from maryland dabbling in the waters dabbling in the valley of the connecticut river valley thinking about maybe relocating to western mass um yeah so vince francie you're so so Vince, you you said that the you want to come. It's getting too hot down there in Maryland. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What do you? So you lived. How do you? What's your connection to the valley? Well, I spent uh, 16 years ago. I came up here to do a little woofing, and uh, spent the summer working at uh, uh, at um, Laughing Dog Farm with Danny Bodkin up there in Gill, and. Um, Met some people down here in Northampton through Danny. Was introduced to to uh, Ruthie and her uh, partner Alex and some of her friends, some of your friends, Ruthie. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, in the intervening years, I've been spending most of my time down in warmer states, but constantly thinking. I'm from Alaska originally, so constantly thinking about the lack of snow where I was living and. Uh, due to climate change, even less snow in in the uh, Pennsylvania, lower Pennsylvania, and and eastern shore of Maryland, and so uh, I just got to a point where I thought, you know, I feel every summer in Maryland, I felt like the Wicked Witch of the West, where she's I'm melting, <laughs> and I just thought, I you know, at I you can think about something for so long, but a, a person only has so many years to live, and at a certain point, I just thought, I really need to. I really need to indulge this need, desire, whatever it is, to be in a cooler climate with hills, maybe some mountains, 
more like four seasons instead of like uh, three seasons with a six-month-long fall. So that has a lot to do with it. Just wanting to wanting to um, wanting to not bake and melt in ninety-five degree heat and humidity during the summer. Mm-hmm. And in order to continue your low income, almost well, your low income lifestyle, what kinds of things do you need to make a n- new life here work? It's it really comes down to. Uh, establishing relationships with people, f- meeting people who are open to doing a bartering type thing. Because work, most work is paid work, but work can also be traded for things that you get paid for. So, for example, I, what I've been doing is trading work for a place to stay and trading food for different, food that I grow for different things. Basically just trading commodities uh, material resources rather than working in the the money on the money aspect of it so I'm looking at the same sort of thing here bartering trading work for a place to stay or um, a combination thereof I have I don't have an absolute plan because it's like a, a specific something written out because it seems like these are the kinds of things that are very reliant on uh, meeting people almost randomly or by chance and if they have something that you if they need something some uh, work or some other skill that i can provide then there's an opening well hey how about if i do this for you and maybe somebody's got a barn that they're not making full use of they don't mind somebody who likes to sleep in cold climb cold mm-hmm. environments and would be willing to provide that in exchange for uh any of the types of work that I know how to do. What, what are some of the things you can do? Well, I have, I've done quite a few different jobs in my life, and I'm originally, uh, well, professionally trained to be an educator, a teacher, high school, junior high school teacher, um, and I've done all kinds of education-related type work. I've also done writing, um, coaching which is related to teaching and then of course everything related to farming and outdoor stuff uh, uh, cutting firewood cutting logs to build houses doing construction uh, roofing kind of I guess you know jack-of-all-trades sort of stuff yeah. restaurant work you name it you had a bike shop once too had a bike shop mm-hmm. bike mechanics okay maybe yeah. I should ask is there anything you can't do I'm not very good with computers <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and Francie, what are you thinking about for your future? And what skills are you bringing to the community? Mm. Or to yeah. your commu- wherever, wherever community you're part of? Right. Um, the skills that I am bringing are I'm a physical therapist by trade, and that is basically paying my bills um, and doing that part-time so that I have enough time for the urban food forest um, also working a lot with hand tools and some herbals. And as far as what I'm looking for, I am considering a move up here. And that has a lot to do with I'm also getting up there in age and just looking for a community that I feel more supported with and in sustainable ways and looking for um, a great way to do that with community. Uh, Vince, what do you do about healthcare? 
I tell people I'm on the Mother Teresa plan, <laughs> which means I trust in God. Uh, and that doesn't, I'm not a, um, not, I, I studied philosophy in college, and so my understanding of God might be different than some people's understanding of God. But nevertheless, that's just the way I do it, which means there's no, absolutely no expenses. And when it's time for me not to be Vincent anymore, then I'll, then I'll be fine with that too. <laughs> um, I, 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 I'm at a loss for the next question that I had. I can't remember what it, it was something, it was something. Oh, what about the St. Patrick's Day bicycle float? What was that like? Oh, Francie can talk about that. That's her pet. <laughs> <laughs> but that was something that you thought up, Vince. So, yeah, I, that's basically when I started collaborating with Vince was when he was looking for people to do a bike-powered St. Patty's Day parade float. And that totally um, got my interest. And I've been trying to collaborate ever since um, on different projects. So it was basically, it was for me, like, again, going down the rabbit hole and just seeing things from a totally different lens. If you're ever on a bike-powered float in a parade and just kind of dreamily kind of kind of very quietly um, going through a parade and um, experiencing it from a different vantage like that that's very low-tech, very simple, it and very practical. It really kind of um, can change your attitude on life and your approach and it's such a community-oriented way of being. Can, can you describe it? What was it? How did it work? What did it look like? Ah, yes. I think Vince could talk more about the engineering Well, the, en it. the engineering wasn't that exciting. It was mostly DIY, and uh, we built a bike that, or we built a f platform that with wheels, bike wheels, that could be harnessed to three bikes in the back uh, with a single uh, steering device uh, built. And then in the front, there was a tricycle. So four bike, it was a four bike power float. And then it was about a six foot by eight foot platform that had a very small live band performing Danny mm -hmm. Boy over and over with the electric guitar. It was kind of a punk Danny Boy, <laughs> punk version with electric guitar and drums so we just we put we had those guys play the song on repeat in honor of saint patty's day and we had a big sail it looked like a pirate ship except it was irish so it had the irish tiger because back in those days ireland was known as the irish tiger because their economics was doing their economy was doing so good so we made this huge sail square sail with a tiger's face on it and, uh, and then we gave out cards. We passed out cards instead of throwing candy, little cards that were basically reminding people that uh, bicycles were... Uh, by, we, <laughs> I can't explain all of this. But we basically used a, a little bit of wordplay to get people thinking, Tigers, Ireland, bicycles. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, our time is about over here. You're listening to... 
an interview with Vincent Hedger and Francie Delaney. Vincent from the Eastern Shore of Maryland. Francie from York, Pennsylvania, up here visiting for a week or two or so. And maybe relocating to the Valley. I think, I expect you'll, will you both be at Bike Lab tomorrow? Would love it. Great. So there will be Bike Lab tomorrow. That's tomorrow, December 2nd. Thanks for listening to Out There Today. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! coming up at 5 o'clock. Thanks. You want to learn to fix your bike? How to keep it tuned up so it's there for you when you need it? Or maybe you know already, but you just need to borrow a bike-specific tool that you don't have. Well, come to the Bike Lab. Almost every Saturday since 2004. From 11.30 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Here in Northampton at 12 Northern Avenue. Come with your bike or your questions. And your willing attitude. <laughs> Spare part scavenger hunt every weekend. Vengan al Bike Lab de Northampton, el taller de bicicleta. Aprende a arreglar tu bicicleta y a divertirte. All repairs guaranteed to the end of the driveway. Details are online at pedalpeople.coop. That's the Saturday Bike Lab at 12 Northern Avenue. They say freedom isn't free, but at the Bike Lab it is... Uh-huh.